Hi, this is Max, one of the producers of Unsettled. It's hard to believe it, but it has been five years since we started this podcast. This fall, our team has been reflecting on what we've made so far and planning for the future. And to help us shape those plans, we've created a quick survey for you, our listeners. It should take only about five or ten minutes to complete, but would be a huge help. Check out our show notes for the link. Now, we wanted to close out this year by diving into the Unsettled archive, looking back on some of the topics and guests that have really stayed with us. So each of our producers chose one of their favorite episodes of Unsettled to share again with you. It was difficult for each of us to choose just one, and we each made our selection for different reasons. First up is my pick, and I have chosen our fifth episode, from all the way back in December 2017. I interviewed two theater artists, a playwright and an actor, Dan Fishback and Mutaz Malhiz. For me, this was like the perfect convergence of my interests. I am a lifelong theater kid, and I get especially excited about, and sometimes skeptical of, quote-unquote, political theater. This episode also marks the first time I had ever done an interview in a studio. Ilana and I felt very fancy. And listening to this episode again, five years later, of course I think I sound so young, even though I was almost 30 at the time, but I also think it's so interesting that we asked Dan and Mataz to come on our show to talk about productions they were a part of that were cancelled. Like, literally cancelled. In fact, hearing Dan use that word, cancelled, it took me a second to remember that he wasn't talking about people criticizing him online. Mataz and Dan's stories of literal IRL cancellation are a good reminder that For all of the noise about cancel culture on the left, there can be very real consequences for those who speak out against the state of Israel or in support of Palestinians. Anyway, on with the show. So many people warned me against making work like this. And yeah, I got canceled, but in the process, I have tremendously powerful friends now that doesn't I didn't make, before. <laughs> doesn't make you stronger after they cancel it? Yeah, of course. To do it? Did yeah. it make you more like want to do it? Oh, yeah. Welcome to Unsettled. My name is Max Friedman. I'm one of the producers of Unsettled and your host for today's episode. Now, when I'm not working on this podcast, I'm a theater artist, and I know how hard it can be to make a life in the theater and get your work out there. However hard you think it is, imagine you're trying to tell stories about the occupied West Bank. Enter Dan Fishback and Mataz Malhiz. Dan and Mataz both made waves in the New York theater scene this fall with plays about Palestine. Mataz was in New York performing with the Freedom Theater of Janine in The Siege, a play about the Israeli siege of the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem during the Second Intifada. Dan, on the other hand, made waves because of a play that didn't happen, rather than the one that did. His play, Rubble Rubble, was supposed to go up at the American Jewish Historical Society, but they canceled it. I'll let him tell you why, and what happened next. Dan and Mataz didn't know each other before, but I had the privilege to get them in the same room to talk about their work, and, as you'll hear, they had a lot in common. In preparation for this interview, I dug through years of old journals and found my entry from the day I first met Mataz when I was in Janine three summers ago. Really big and underlined a few times, I had written two words. Cultural resistance. So that's our theme for today. Quick note, besides the three of us, at one point you'll hear the voice of my co-producer, Ilana Levinson. I think that's all you need to know, so let's get started. Welcome to Unsettled. Uh, Why don't you start by introducing yourselves? Uh, First of all, I'm so happy to be here with you guys. (laughs) That's before I introduce myself. I'm Mataz Malhis, so I'm a, an actor from Palestine. I used to work with the Freedom Theater since 2010. 
I do a lot of politics theater, but also at the same time I do also for community. I do like for kids show, but I feel like whatever needs I give, like it's not important the type of theater I do. But nowadays I'm a freelance and I work like with all theaters in Palestine, my country, because I don't want to be just involved in one place, even that I always say the Freedom Theater is my place and my home. <laughs> I'm Dan Fishback. I'm a, uh, I make performance and music and theater in New York. Uh, I've been here since 2003. I don't know. What do you, what, what do you want to know? Where'd you grow up? Oh, my gosh. Um, I grew up in a pretty normal American Reformed Jewish family outside of Washington, D.C. in Maryland. In a family that was essentially a liberal Zionist family, although I don't think they would have necessarily articulated themselves th like that. They just uh. imagined themselves to be normal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, I heard growing up, if only the Palestinians were nonviolent, then they would get what they want because they, they're asking for something reasonable. Um, but it's, it's because they're violent that things are problem. That, 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 that's the reason why there's a problem. And like the, the older people around me as I was growing up were always saying, if only there was a Palestinian Gandhi, that was like the refrain over and over again. <laughs> and now I find myself 36 years old going back to my communities and being like, there's this huge nonviolent Palestinian movement and it's international and we can be part of it. It's boycott and blah, blah, blah. And everyone's like, oh no, no, no. This makes us uncomfortable too. And I'm like, this is what you were begging for my whole childhood. This is what you were asking for. And now it's here. Why aren't you? excited why aren't you as excited as i am <laughs> that's yeah. where i'm from <laughs> <laughs> that's cool and uh it's an honor to be here with mataz whose performance in the siege was absolutely amazing we're not sure but there is like people who really want to bring it back to the u.s again because it was a really successful show like for the scaleball theater even like they saw they almost like sold out let me back you up a second because uh i want you to imagine that yeah. i have never heard of the siege and never heard of the freedom theater can you yeah, tell yeah. me tell me what it was tell me what it is uh, the siege is a story about the invasion happened in 2002 in palestine and there was like uh, as a invasion for the whole west bank like in Jenin and nablus and all, all the cities like one of them was bethlehem and in bethlehem there was like a group of fighters freedom fighters who fight and defend back from the our homeland they have like miniguns defending themselves and they have on the other side the, the israeli side there is tanks Apache, Jeeps, all kind of guns you can imagine in your life, heavy guns. Uh, and there were like around 45 fighters, 250, 245 civilian, priests, nuns, uh, children, uh, women, and men from both uh, different religions who's uh, like stuck inside the Nativity Church for 39 days with the like first five days they have food after that, they have no food, and they're surrounded with uh, around 60,000 soldiers from the Israeli army. They won't like to finish it. So they, they have pressure. They don't want to, even the fighters say, like, Khalas, it's enough. There are people are suffering. There are families are suffering outside because of that. So they send them, like, a paper. They have to write their names, the number of the ID they have, and their, uh, their signature. So the fighters sign on it and they know that 13 going to Europe and 25 are going to Gaza. They don't know even where they're going. So they send them to exile the same day. When, when my friends and I were leaving the theater, we, all we were talking about is we were so curious about what their lives would be like after yeah. 15 years of exile and we couldn't wrap our minds around it. I know one of them is personal and he told me a lot about it. 
And it's really important to bring this piece because of one reason. They didn't choose. Even they signed the paper that say they w they have to go to exile, but like they was under pressure and they thought it's temporary and that mm -hmm. they would return. And they, I know how much they are really broken from inside. They never show this to people, but from inside, if you know them personally, they are really broken and they just all, all they want just to see, like at least they are families. Some of them, they can't. The family, like, they can't get a visa to go to visit them. Like, for example, the, the two guys, uh, Rami Kamel and Jari Jara, who are living in Dublin, they haven't seen their families at all. One of them, like, Jihad, he have a son that his wife gave birth. Like, after one week, he was sent to exile. He didn't even touch his son. Like, mm. he's 15 years old. Like, like at least, like, okay, you don't want to send him back to Palestine. Let, let his family visit him. Like, this is a minimum of humanity. And... Uh, a uh, really important point we have like always to say those people was in their homeland they was in their own city and they fight back they didn't went to yeah a, a to tel aviv to fight or to somewhere inside israel to fight the people over there they was fighting and re de defending themselves from the israeli army how did you get started with the freedom theater Woohoo! <laughs> since i was like a fifth 14 I heard about it or 13 and I was dreaming about to be in there because I'm since like 8 9 I start doing acting and uh, it's like something I really love from inside like I really, really want to be an actor not because like I wanted a name because I can hold the stories I can share stories for all over the world I, and I enjoy it it's something beautiful and uh, it's strong in the same time so when I was 16 I heard about a hip hop workshop dance hip-hop workshop in the Freedom Theater. So I, I went there and I applied for it. And I get involved with the workshop. And the last few days, Giuliano just came and he said, we open a new class for theater. Giuliano, who Mataz just mentioned, is Giuliano Merchames, who started what is today the Freedom Theater. Real quick, I want to tell you the remarkable story of the Freedom Theater of Janine. During the first intifada, Giuliano's mother, a Jewish-Israeli communist named Arna Meir, came to Janine where she helped to establish housing and educational programs for children in the refugee camp there, and eventually a children's theater called The Stone. Arna died of cancer in 1995, and during the second intifada, The Stone Theater was destroyed. Arna's son Giuliano returned to Janine for the first time since his mother's death in the immediate aftermath of the Battle of Janine, and made an incredible film called Arna's Children. Mataz will tell you more about this in a bit but it's on YouTube and I highly recommend it. It was after finishing this film that Giuliano returned again to Janine to found the Freedom Theater. In 2011, Giuliano was assassinated, but the Freedom Theater has persisted. All right, back to Mataz. So I get involved uh, and I put myself in that place since uh, 2010 and it's been like around uh, now, now we could say like eight years almost. It is hard and uh, good in the same time it is like it's because you face emotion a lot of different emotion but i love it it's like it's became my home now i'm always there even if i have nothing like i go pass by drinking coffee there like chill see what's going on if they need the help or something because i'm part of the family well we met because i went to visit the freedom theater and <laughs> you were just hanging around yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. we sat there and talked for an hour yeah yeah, yeah. All right, so um, Dan. Yeah. Tell me about 
your work and particularly tell me about Rebel Rebel and how you, the genesis of that project. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've been working for the past decade on a trilogy of plays that sort of explore the inner life of the Jewish left in the United States over the past century. Mm -hmm. And this last play, Rubble Rubble, which I've been developing for the past few years, uh, starts in the West Bank in an Israeli settlement. And you you find this family that I've been writing plays about, uh, which is a very, very far leftist, socialist, radical family. You see that that family has split off and there's like a right wing side of the family that has become settlers. And the left-wing anti-Zionist member of their family travels to visit them after they haven't spoken in 20 years. And the family confronts each other over this huge chasm where one person is like a Palestinian solidarity BDS supporter and the rest of the family are like... Pro-Israel. They're like settlers, (laughs) like living (laughs) living on stolen land, even though they're middle-aged American Jews who in the 60s were like radical new left you know people i'm fascinated by how many american israeli jews were like super far on the left in the united states and then became these like horrible (laughs) oppressors in israel it blows my mind that it's possible to make that transition within the course of one life and so and that's where the place starts and um and I've been developing it for, for a few years. I went to Israel-Palestine to research for the play. I spent uh, two weeks with interfaith peace builders traveling all through the West Bank and meeting with different nonviolent Palestinian and Israeli activists. I spent a week interviewing settlers, which was extremely disturbing. Um, and then I've been developing this play, and it was going to have its first public reading at the American Jewish Historical Society in Manhattan. And... Um, a couple weeks ago, I guess now around a month ago, I we went to their offices for a meeting and everything was very positive and every, they were very excited to have us. The staff was very supportive of the work and we heard that there was a right-wing smear campaign against the organization's new CEO. And we were told, this is all happening, but don't let it bother you. <laughs> it, 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 we, we might have to cancel that other thing, but we're not going to cancel your play because we were were really excited about it. And literally the conversation we had was about raising the budget for our play. Eight hours later, I got an email saying that the play had been canceled. (laughs) And um, what What happened to nation about it? Well, I I knew that it was, the the, the institution itself never sent me like a formal letter or anything, Mm -hmm. but I knew that it was because of this right-wing Zionist pressure campaign that um, that they were being pressured to fire their new CEO, and in order to try to get rid of that critique, they were just going to get rid of us. Um, and the staff of the American Jewish Historical Society was very supportive of me, and I don't see them as my enemies at all. It was the board of directors, or at least a, a small group from the board, yeah, yeah. met in the middle of the night and made this decision. And this is what happens all of the time in Jewish organizations. The, the people actually doing work are willing to make brave choices, and the people who are funding that work are not willing to let anyone yeah, make yeah, brave yeah. choices. It's happened with the same time, the same thing almost with us. Yeah, at the public, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost the same by like 
I don't know who's stand with us or who's against us, but we had this question for Oscar, which is the artistic director of the public theater. And his answer was a really diplomatic answer. And I respect it. No, Oscar, he's a really great guy. And he was one of the supporters to bring this play over here. And the, the most important thing he says, that's to bring the siege for the New Yorker people. And we did it. Yeah. It's not about the place. Well, that was interesting about, so, about Oscar Eustace and the siege yeah. is that it was supposed to be at the public theater. The board canceled that yeah. choice. But Oscar, who's the artistic director of the public theater, That's he had good. notes in the program for the siege production at the Skirball Center. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, this is so unusual <laughs> that you open the program and you see notes from the director of the theater that canceled the play. Yeah, yeah <laughs> like, but, <laughs> but uh, I want to hear more about uh, Dan play. Uh, sure, like, yeah. I would um, like to know what is the story is. Well, the um well, I can tell you about the, the the story of what happens in the in the play, but what I but I what I also want to say is that after we were canceled, um the New York theater world became incredibly supportive of us and people really came out of nowhere to offer support and offer help. We raised our budget that had been canceled from the American Jewish Historical Society within three days. Whoa. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, we were offered resources that we couldn't have ever imagined. And to me, that was a huge sign that the people who are trying to censor dissident voices around Israel Palestine are going to fail in humiliation <laughs> because our work is stronger than ever after having been canceled because people are so angry about it. People mm -hmm. who are who don't really know very much about it are angry about it. And there are left-wing Zionists in my life who don't agree with me, but who are so angry that the play was canceled. And it's put them in a situation where they're actually more open to my ideas mm -hmm. and more open to considering the ideas of the play. So, I mean, and, and we're going to do the reading of the play. It's going to happen next year. The, the details aren't confirmed, mm -hmm. but it's going to be bigger and more interesting and more spectacular than it would have been if it hadn't been canceled in the first place, which is interesting. The The play itself, it's funny because the people who canceled it never read it. And it's weird. Like, if they read it, I think they'd be like, oh, this is weird. It's a weird play. The first act is like a very traditional living room drama in a family. So there's the aunt and uncle who are middle-aged, uh, formerly left-wing radical American Jews who live in a settlement. There's their... Um, radical nephew who shares my politics but is not a sympathetic person he's kind of uh nasty and annoying and neurotic and he's there with his partner who's colombian and has no context for any of this so i really wanted there to be a character who doesn't really have any stake in the game doesn't have any history with israel palestine just comes from another part of the world entirely but who has a, a personal history of violence mm -hmm. because he grew up in a part of Colombia that experienced uh, a lot of okay. violence. Whereas I think a lot of white American Jews, violence, revolution, all these ideas are abstract concepts yeah. and, and we don't experience them in our, our real lives. So he's coming at that character who in a way is the central character of the play is, is coming at things from a totally different context. And I can't, I don't want to give anything away, but by the end of the first act, things go horribly wrong and the first act ends with an enormous disaster and the second act begins and it's a musical and it takes place in moscow in 1905 <laughs> and it's the same family but a century before oh. and the matriarch of the family is building 
bombs for the socialist revolution. So it's in almost a flashback. It's, it's like a flash. It's like a. Right? It's like an ancestral flashback. That's interesting. So the, you see the ancestor of the same family, and she's like a. She's like a socialist revolutionary. She's building a bomb. She wants to like blow up the czar, and <laughs> and. And the the ideas of the first act are sort of filtered through the music of the second act, where you see her with her socialist comrades. And what I want to ask is, how did this family go from here to there? How did it get from one place to the other? And and the other question that I'm really interested in asking is like, if you once you learn that uh, that there is an enormous injustice around you how far are you willing to go to stop it from happening? How, how much violence are you willing to accept in order Whoa. to stop something? Which is, a question, which is a huge question, I think, for anti-Zionist Jews when it comes to Palestine. Like, how, wh- what are we supposed to do n- knowing this horrible thing is going on? It's a huge question within Palestinian society, obviously. Yeah. Like, what are you willing to do to stop this from happening? And it's been a huge question throughout Jewish political history, which is full of violent uh, resistance to injustice. Mm-hmm. And we act like we're so horrified by violent in- resistance to injustice, but Jewish history is full of it. So <laughs> those are the questions that I'm dealing with. And I don't think the play offers any straightforward answers. And that's the interesting thing about the play being canceled or censored is that the play itself is about what happens when two sides of a Jewish family can't communicate and shun each other. Yeah. And that's what's happened with the play, that we yeah, yeah. were being shunned just like family members are being shunned. And when I was in Israel researching the play, I would tell people what the play is about. You know, it's about a Jewish family that's separated over Israel, and there's an Israeli side doesn't talk to the American side. And every single person I talked to was like, oh, that's just like my family. That's my family. That, that happened to us. And I was like, oh, right, this is, this is bad for everybody. This destroys yeah, yeah. families. This injustice is destroying everybody involved in it. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, even if it's happened, like, something like to my grandparents, whatever it takes place, I will not do the same thing in a different place. Right. <laughs> you know? This is the this is the big <laughs> This is the right thing like. This is the big Jewish catastrophe of the 20th century that you 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 take one of two decisions, right? You either you, you take all the trauma and you say this will never happen to us again and we will do anything to protect us or you say this will never happen to anyone again. But like like, like let's Jewish used to live in Yemen. Yeah. Morocco, <laughs> Egypt, Palestine. Uh, many Arab countries, like they are, was like normal to see like uh, this Muslim, Christian, and a Jewish yeah. neighbor, and uh, like uh, an atheist beside him, and all of them they are living in the Arab world like normally. Like let's be honest, even though the Arab history is not clear, like there is many bad things from the Arab history also. Like, but uh, we used to live like together. So the thing is not religion. Mm. I don't believe it's religion. It's mentality. I it's, was uh, I was talking. I was having an argument in a restaurant a couple years ago with a a Zionist Jew and we were fighting really passionately and someone, a stranger, came up to our table and said, guys, stop fighting about this. It's it's an ancient struggle that's been going on thousands of years. And we both looked at him, we were, were, both of us agreed. We were like, no it isn't. (laughs) This is new. This is in the past like less than 200 years that this has happened. (laughs) Like, come on, go. We were like, go sit down. 
Finish your lunch, hon. <laughs> get, out of our, get out of our faces. That's There's funny. so many lies about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, But this is, I, I feel like this is the work, this is the cultural work of American Jewishness right now. We've been brought up with such a distorted understanding of the world, and it's going to take so much cultural work to undo it all. And it's gonna make a lot of enemies in the same time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, but I think my situation proves that it's also gonna get, it's, also, it's, it's not gonna be completely a disaster. You know, everyone, t- so many people warned me against making work like this. And yeah, I got canceled, but in the process, I have tremendously powerful friends now that doesn't I didn't make, before. <laughs> doesn't make you stronger after they cancel it? Yeah, of course. To do it? Did yeah. it make you more like want to do it? Oh, yeah. That's a good thing, then. <laughs> okay. What's the next question? <laughs> so, why, for both of you, why is culture your weapon of choice? Woohoo! Because the uh, Dan, you go ahead. Because <laughs> right. it's go more ahead. powerful. Yeah. Like, it, it, uh, violence only ever creates more violence. I think this, like, even when it's necessary, it it ends up being true. Uh, Culture is the only human practice that can actually dig into the root of a trauma and try to undo it in the first place. Um, and this is why people are so afraid of culture and in particular theater, because when there's a human being in front of you having an experience, it's very difficult to ignore them. It's hard to ignore a play. And, uh, and, and so many, especially so many American Zionist Jews are under on an emotional level understand that their perspective is impossible because if you ask most American Jews do you believe that it is right for a country to privilege one ethno-religious group over others most of them will say no that's wrong that is a wrong thing And then you say, well, what about Israel? And they go, uh, <laughs> but, but the, the, the fundamental truth, the deeper truth, is that none of us actually support this. It's, it, the, 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 the support for Israel is the more superficial belief. The deeper belief is that this is wrong. Good, good plays, good art, good visual art, good music, good anything about this will help strip away the sort of superficial attachment to the, to the story of Israel and help people get to the deeper belief that supremacy is wrong. No matter who is supreme in any given situation, it will always be wrong. Yeah. Sorry, I just want to, um, in the conversation about Zionism, I'm wondering... It's, it's Do you want me to not, define that? Yeah, I'm wondering specifically if you think any form of Zionism yeah. involves supremacy and that kind of thing. You know, I identify as an anti-Zionist Jew, and a, a lot of people, a lot of people will say, "Oh, that don't say that because it's icky. It makes us uncomfortable to say that you're anti-Zionist." Because, because, what does that really mean? And for me, like, if it was like the early 1900s, maybe I would have identified as like a cultural Zionist. But to me, the way the word Zionism functions in the world, it's support for a Jewish state of Israel, and. To me, that means that Zionism inherently re- requires one to believe that Jews should reign supreme in this land. And I think that that's an untenable option. Uh, I, I sort of want to respond. 
You want to get into it, Max? No, I don't. No, I don't. I don't want to argue with you. That's not. I will confess that I am skeptical of people who call themselves anti-Zionists who are not Jewish mm-hmm. and not Palestinian. I yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too. I think that part of the part of what it means to liberate Jews in the world is to liberate us from our trauma and to liberate us from that pain that 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 distracts us from the reality of the world and that requires our friends to help us get through that trauma and to help us liberate ourselves from that trauma and that requires non-Jewish people who oppose Zionism to make sure that we are emotionally capable of um, of joining with them and being in in community with them and to me that's always like a challenge to my non-jewish friends and comrades to be like if you were going to do this together you need to understand that we're we just barely made it alive (laughs) into this century And and a lot of us have like legitimate fears for our lives i mean we're living in a the united states where there's like a nazi problem right like our fear of of violence is real and legitimate and um when 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 people say that there's like no anti-Semitism in on the left in the United States. To me, that's like so foolish. Like obviously, there is some anti-Semitism in any part of the yeah, world, of course, in any community, of course. And when we when we pretend it doesn't exist, then we're then I think we make so many other Jews feel unsafe joining us in this movement because yes. we're saying something that's obviously untrue, and they don't trust us because it sounds like we're lying to them. From my perspective, we sh- we need to say it. Yeah, there's totally some anti-Semitism on the but left, n- and we need to, and and we need to deal with it, and our non-Jewish comrades need to deal with it, so that we can see that this is a safe place for us to be. Nobody called you before like you are anti-Semitic after all the things oh, you did, yeah. and you are Jewish. Oh yeah, and oh. you add <laughs> yourself or what? Mutaz, I need to tell you, <laughs> I've gotten a lot of hate mail in my life, and it's never as aggressive as other Jews. <laughs> They're the ones that tell me I should die. They all what they always say is, "You should go to Palestine where they'd kill you." They say this all the you time, and I'm like, I've been to I, Palestine, I, I, dude. So if, if some of the guys gonna hear this interview, Dan, uh, you more than welcome to my house in Janine. <laughs> Nobody gonna us. kill you. You're gonna love it. <laughs> so come back to the first yeah. question. Yes, <laughs> finally. Uh, why cultural? Uh, because I'm fed up. I have seen like uh, many people got killed in this entire world since I was born, and they uh, see blood everywhere. Why it need to be violent? Why that question? We, why don't we turn the opposite question? Why you have to be violent? Because it's like we fear up. We are like we are human. There is many people that think like, oh, they was born like this. No, they was not born like this. There is something happened to them. Like if you watch, there is a, a really important and good movie. It's called Arnold's Children. Little kids. He talking about this story a lot. Little kids. And they was dreaming about being to be Romeo of Palestine. Uh, one of them want to be Juliet, one of them may want to be Al Pacino, they want to be actors. Suddenly, in a moment, 2002, you see those people got killed and they became a freedom fighter before. Why? One of them, his mother got killed by a sniper. One of them, uh, after the pompa school, he went to the school and he grabbed a body of a girl and she was almost alive while he was running to the hospital, she died. So, his, <laughs> of course, he's going to have a flip in his mind and he's going to hold the gun and fight. So those people, they, 
they didn't like came from nothing there is a reason always to do this even like i'm not into like guns or things that's why i choose also art because i believe art is more stronger than a gun and uh, i don't want to see any person on earth suffer like death is coming anyway like you're gonna <laughs> die but like from killing each other like why we have to kill each other destroying destroying i, I can make art which is strong i can bring the messages not just from my place from all over the world and develop it to the stage and uh, i think it's let's make it let's be cultural more let's let's let, let the art talk and uh, we're not gonna fake history we're not gonna fake stories we're gonna bring the story as it is and, and this is why they're so afraid of theater yeah because theater shows the reasons why a person does uh, something and they don't want to look at the reasons man i i i started to believe in this thing in 2012. i was going to the theater in the taxi and there was a checkpoint and they, they stopped me because i have no id and i told him like i'm late for my theater he said oh you're going to the freedom theater <laughs> he said like come on man they killed juliana they could kill you too and I said, like, why? He said, like, art will not change anything, man. Like, why you need it? I said, like, it's fine. <laughs> for you, it's nothing. But for me, he tell me, if you don't have your ID next time, you go to prison. And I promise you. So since that time, I just realized how much art is strong and uh, how much they're afraid from art. Here's Mataz in a scene from Return to Palestine, devised by graduates of the Freedom Theater Acting School. <laughs> Yes, of course I read. So the work that I do uh, here in New York City is mostly with an organization called Theater of the Oppressed NYC, yeah, um, where I work with a lot of different groups of people. Right now I'm working at Housing Works, um, which is an organization that... Um, uh, I think this is the blurb from their website. Works to end the twin crises of HIV, AIDS, and homelessness. Well, um, I'm working easy. with a, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, I'm working with a group of folks from Housing Works uh, on a play that they created um, about their experiences um, trying to keep and get affordable housing um, with uh, housing vouchers that they have because of their status. Mm-hmm. Um, and. That's just one example. Uh, I've worked on a lot of plays, but um, the way that sometimes I think about what those plays are meant to do is is kind of in two areas. Uh, there's the sort of, I mean, the way that I talk about it with my family, which is very much in the kind of like raising awareness um, camp right. in the sense that people come to see these plays. They don't know anything about tenant harassment in New York City, and they learn about it. Mm-hmm. And then really what it was designed to do by the folks who came up with this stuff in Brazil in the 70s, which is to build capacity in that community. Um, these theater tools are, are tools for people to, to, to work together to make change. I'm wondering if that resonates with you at all and sort of how do you, what do you see your work in theater doing? Uh, obviously, I like plays that do all of these things at the same time. Yeah. But... Um, as a playwright, if you go into a project with too much of a vision of like what you, how, what kind of responses you want from your audience, an audience knows when you're trying to manipulate them. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, an audience knows when something's authentic. So yeah. being a playwright is about balancing your vision for what you want to happen in the room and your 
relationship to your own imagination and your own and, impulses. And, and the, th- the thing is, like, if you don't believe it, yeah, the actors will never believe it. Yeah. Then the audience will never believe yeah, it. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and a lot of political theater gets a bad rap because I think a lot of political theater is only thinking about how can we make an impact with this audience, and it and it feels false. I'm interested to know about that. Like normally, when you Right. You give solution for the people or you give them a question to find the solution? Um, you give them solutions? I, I don't give solutions, no. You give a, a question give to questions. find? I give questions, yeah. Good, yeah. yeah. If, yeah. I, if I feel like I know concretely an, an answer to something, I will just write an essay. Hmm. Hope hurts Keep it far away A few months after this interview, Dan Fishback's Rubble Rubble had a triumphant staged reading in New York, and Alana and I were there. Truly, it was so good. I hope you have the opportunity to see it someday. Since 2018, Dan has mostly been taking care of his declining health. Dan has ME-CFS, or chronic fatigue syndrome, a condition very similar to long COVID. Dan wrote to me that he hopes listeners will continue protecting themselves and others with N95 masks in indoor public spaces. With his available capacity, Dan released a single and music video for his song Hope Hurts in 2020. That's what you're listening to right now. He expects to release a full collection of new songs in the coming years. He's also developing a contemporary adaptation of Sholem Aleichem's Tevye stories, in which his modern-day Golda grows more and more anxious as her daughters grow out of love with Israel. Motaz Malhiz recently starred in the film 200 Meters, which won the People's Choice Award at the 2020 Venice Film Festival and was Jordan's official entry to that year's Academy Awards. 200 Meters just finished up a theatrical run at New York City's Quad Cinema, and if you're outside the U.S., you can watch it on Netflix. Unsettled is created by Emily Bell, Asaf Calderon, Alana Levinson, and me, Max Friedman. This episode was originally produced by Alana Levinson. Our theme music is by Nat Rosenzweig. We'll be adding all of these five-year anniversary producer picks to a Spotify playlist, which you can find a link to in the show notes. Whether this was your first time listening to Unsettled or you've been following from the start, we want to thank you for listening to these stories and supporting our independent team. And as our team plans for the future, we'd love to learn more about our audience, which includes you. Help us shape Unsettled by filling out our audience survey, which is now available on our website and at the link in the show notes. We'll be collecting answers through December 26th.